Well, good morning. Welcome to Journey. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Ken, and uh, I, I don't know about the puzzle night. That, that does not sound like fun, um, but I could go for an 18-plus Nerf night. That sounds like that could be a, a fun. We could have a medic station, like right when you come in, have a little, little prayer area with prayer partners. We would be really hurting ourselves, I think. Uh, that would be fun. Well, over uh, today and next week, these two Sundays, um, really want to take some time to talk about a God-sized vision, and and um, and, and this isn't even just you know, for, for our church, but I really feel for the body of Christ, this is something that we need to really rediscover. Before, before we get too far into it, I got to take a moment just to define our terms. When we're talking about vision, what are we talking about? Vision, there's a lot of different definitions, and there's been all kinds of leadership books written on vision, but, but for our sake for today and next week, when we're talking about vision, we're talking really about a picture of the future, a picture of the future. When we're talking about vision, it's a picture of the future. And the truth of the matter is we're all moving from here to there. Everybody. Maybe you don't feel, you're like, I, I'm not moving anywhere. I'm comfortable right where I am. I'm staying here. Here looks nice. Here is safe. I'm staying here. But the truth of the matter is if you've ever, some of you have had the, the a privilege to be able to go to the ocean at some point or another. And, and I love going to the ocean. You go out into the ocean and, and sometimes, I'll, you know, we've had times, it's been a while since we've gone. We, we need to go back sometime. But, but you'll be out in the ocean and I remember playing with the kids and doing all this stuff. And then you would look back and you didn't think you had moved, really. I mean, maybe you would move. And all of a sudden, you're like, where? <laughs> where is the place we were supposed to be at, right? I mean, the pier's nowhere to be found or whatever. And because even when you think you are standing still, we're moving, right? So the idea is, if in moving from here to there, anytime you have more than one person, if it's just you all by your lonesome, you don't really need to have a picture of there because you can go wherever you want, but you get married or you have kids or you join an organization or you go to work somewhere or you go to school. Whenever there's more than one person, it becomes really important to talk about the there so that we're all moving to the same there from here. Is that making any sense at all? Okay, so, so I'll give you an example. Like uh, if you're the Detroit Lions... The there is the Super Bowl, right? From the very beginning of the season, we're moving from here to there. We're going, we're going all the way to the Super Bowl, right? We're going to Las Vegas. For the Cleveland Browns, I don't know what the there is uh, often. We're just trying to, one of these years, hopefully, Carlos, one of these years. In any organization, even, and it doesn't just have to be an organization, in a marriage, I think it's really important for a husband and wife to be able to clarify what is there. What does there look like? You bring kids into the mix. And I know we don't really think about this strategically, but what does there look like? I mean, hopefully one day they are going to graduate out of diapers and out of preschool and they're going to end up in elementary school and middle school and high school. What is the there? What are we trying to prepare our kids for? What does, what does, what does it look like to move from here to there? In, in any organization, this is important because the danger is that there can be one place over here for Larry, and it's one place over here for me, and it's one place over here for Keisha, and if we're all, if we're all going in different directions, 
then we're not unified and we're not moving the kingdom of God as, as powerfully as we could if we were all moving together to the same there. Does that make sense? So a vision is simply a picture of the future. And here's the cool thing. The Bible lays out what the there should look like. We don't have to, you know, trust in a pastor or trust in a denomination or trust in a, you know, smoke-filled room in the back of old people who are figuring this out. Like, we can look to Scripture to discover what, what is the there that we should be moving toward. And so I've been praying uh, for some time about, God, what is our vision? Because God has done incredible things here at Journey. I mean, way beyond, like, I mean, we've, we've reached a there that I had back in 2006, like several years ago. I'm like, God, do you need to move me out of here? Does somebody else need to lead this? Like, what is the vision that, that you have, God, for this church? I don't want to make something up. What do you want for this church? And a lot of churches have visions that, that, that revolve around buildings. And then once a building is built, like everyone kind of loses, the, loses the, the plot, right? Like I don't think the vision is building related. What is the vision? I, lo- I love what Solomon says in Proverbs uh, chapter 29, verse 18. Solomon says this. He says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Basically what that means in in them casting off restraint just means everybody just does what seems right in their own eyes. And the problem with that is sometimes what seems right in my own eyes really isn't right. Sometimes what seems like the right idea isn't the right idea. Don't, I don't want to see a show of hands just keep looking straight at me. But sometimes you thought it was the right idea to marry somebody. And you realize down the road... Maybe that wasn't the right idea, right? Like, like so, so without vision, and, and I love the ESV that it says without prophetic vision, meaning this isn't just a vision I come up with, this is a vision from God. Without prophetic vision, we're each just kind of do our own thing, and God wants us to be united. He wants us to be moving toward what he has for us. So, so what does he have for us? So in, in praying about this and talking to our leaders and our leaders praying about this, a passage of scripture that's just become so real to me is a passage that I, I'm, honestly, I memorized this back when I was a teenager. It's a verse that I preached on so many times, but the light bulb came on when I just felt like the Lord says, Ken, this is my vision, not Kendi Chan's vision, not the church. This, this is God saying, this is my vision for the church, and not even just for our church, for the capital C church. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're just looking at one verse this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And as you're maybe pulling this up on your phone or your tablet or you're looking it up in your Bible, in Acts chapter 1, the context is Jesus has been crucified. On the third day, he's risen from the grave. Now he's spent some time talking to his disciples and giving them some last instructions. And now in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he's going to ascend to the Father. But in verse 8, Eight, he gives one last instruction to his disciples, to his followers. And in verse 8, he says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And right there in that verse is a vision of what God has for his people. Uh, let, me, let me kind of unpack this a little bit, and we're going to take some time even next week to talk a little bit about this. But he first of all says, you will, not maybe, not might be, he says, you will receive power. Everybody say power. You will receive power 
when my spirit comes upon you. In those days, you will receive power when my spirit comes upon you. Now, now what is this power for? He says it very clearly in verse 8, to be what? Witnesses, right? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses. Now, we got to pause there. What is a witness? What is a witness? And maybe you've watched some legal uh, TV shows, or you've watched some legal movies, and, and, and we don't know a whole lot. Maybe you've never been in a courtroom before, but you've probably watched enough TV to know that there are times in a trial where a prosecutor or a defense attorney will have the opportunity to call up to the stand individuals who are called witnesses, Right? And when a witness comes to the stand, and hopefully you've never had to go through this, but when a witness comes to a stand, a witness just simply tells about their experience. They tell about what they saw. They tell about what they heard. I was, it was Thursday night. It was, it was after 7 o'clock. I know because at 7 o'clock this happened, and so it was after 7 o'clock. And I was in the ballroom, and Colonel Mustard was there, and there was a rope And I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own eyes. And here's a cool thing about a witness. A witness isn't an expert. In fact, in a trial, often prosecutors, defense attorneys will call to the stand experts. A witness doesn't have to be an expert. It doesn't matter what kind of educational level they've received. It doesn't matter, you know, their experiences or whatever. A witness simply comes and says, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I experienced. And so Jesus doesn't say, you know, that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be experts. He says you're going to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That God has called all of us. Part of the vision is that we would awaken to the fact that the Holy Spirit is wanting to empower us, not just so we can go, woohoo, got me some of the Holy Ghost, ha, Right? Like, that's not what the Holy Spirit is all about. I mean, yes, it's great to get the heebie-jeebies. It's great to, ooh, I felt the Holy Spirit today. That's great. I hope you feel the Holy Spirit when you're in our services. And even more importantly, when you're outside of our services into the world that he created, I hope you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Holy Spirit is for. The Holy Spirit is meant to empower you and I to give us the boldness and the courage that we don't otherwise have in order to be witnesses of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And what has Jesus done? What's he done? He's forgiven us. He saw us in our lostness. He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our trouble. He saw us in our brokenness. And Jesus said, I'll go. The Father sent him, and the Son of God, Jesus, came to this earth, and he became one of us, and he healed people and performed miracles, but ultimately, he went to the cross where he took the curse of my sin and your sin upon himself, and he died as a substitutionary atonement for our sins. He took the punishment of our sins upon himself, and that if we will believe in him, we can have everlasting life. If we will put the weight of our lives upon him, trusting in him and depending on him and obeying him, we can have eternal life through Jesus. We're witnesses of the fact that he took a knucklehead and he saved him and he redeemed him and he wants to use us to bring hope and peace to others around us. Isn't that incredible? 
Now, here's the part where you go, Ken, you, didn't, you, never, you said you memorized this verse, you've read this verse. Like, what was the light bulb moment about that? The light bulb moment really came at the end of the verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. But then Jesus gets very strategic in intention. Remember, these are the last words he's going to speak. The very next verse, he ascends to the Father. He says, you will be my witnesses. And then he gives four strategic, important, very specific areas where we are to be witnesses. What are they? Do you, anybody see them in your translation? What, what is the first place that we are to be witnesses? What does it say there? What does it say? Jerusalem. I'm just going to write these down to begin with, and then we'll talk a little bit on. What's the next place that he says that you're going to be uh, witnesses? Judea. Interestingly, he doesn't just say Judea. He says all of Judea, right? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. What's the next place that he says? Samaria, right? Again, we'll describe what, what this means in a minute. And then he, he just says, and, and the ends of the earth, right? I'm just going to put E-O-E. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even think about that. Ends of the earth, right? So, so he gives four very specific, and listen, Jesus, Jesus doesn't do anything halfway. Jesus, I think he had thought about these words. He knows this is the last thing he's going to say. This isn't off-the-cuff Jesus. This isn't Jesus just making things up before he ascends to the Father. Like, this is very specific that these are his last words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, and you will be my witnesses in four specific areas. So what is Jerusalem? For the disciples, Jerusalem was right where they were. Jerusalem is where I am. Jerusalem is where I am. Jesus wants you to be a witness right where you are. You're like, well, right now I'm at 565 South State Route 19 in Fremont, Ohio. But maybe that's not where you normally are. For many of us in this room, right where I am is Fremont. I love that picture, by the way. It's Fremont. For, for many of you, it's Clyde. For many of you, it's Bellevue or Tiffin or Faustoria. Right where you are, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses right where you are. The question is, do the people around you know that you have a hope? Do the people around you know that you've experienced peace with God through Jesus Christ? Do the people around you know that they can have a hope and they can have peace with God? See, right where I am in my Jerusalem, Jesus says, this is part of the vision that he has for us, that we would all be united in understanding we are to take the gospel, we are to be witnesses right here in Jerusalem. Now, that's kind of an easy concept to understand. It gets a little nebulous, it gets a little weird when we get into, well, what in the world is Judea? Judea, the best way to think of it is my region. So Jerusalem was actually part of Judea. All of Judea is a, it's a wide net. Think of Judea. For us, probably our Judea would be Ohio, Right? That's a great way of thinking about Judea. And, and maybe we get a little more specific. Maybe, maybe that just seems way too broad. And so maybe we narrow it down to northwestern Ohio or, you know, the Toledo area or whatever it would be. But Judea, for a lot of us, Judea is driving through 
cornfields, <laughs> you know, to get from here to there. That, that's our Judea. That's, that's just the way it is. But our Judea is not cornfields. It might be driving through the cornfields, right? But Judea is, Judea is recognizing it's, it's not just where I am. It's the broad scope of the people around me, even broadly. We're Buckeyes, right? We're Buckeyes. This is our region, right? Samaria, Samaria is interesting. The Jews and the Samaritans, there was no love lost between these two groups of people. They were, they were really enemies in a lot of ways. But the, the interesting part of this, the shocking thing about this is that the Samaritans were actually distant relatives of the Jews. They actually had a lot in common. But over the years, those, they'd lost those common interests. They'd lost those shared experiences. And so it became like a them and us type of thing. And maybe the best analogy would be Michigan. No, we won't put that up there. Uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> uh, I know, don't send me your emails. Um, Samar- interesting, Samar- so Samaritans, in a lot of ways, if you were just looking at a Jew and a Samaritan, you wouldn't even be able to tell. But, but maybe, maybe it's a difference for us. You know, think about people that, that Samaritans were around them geographically. They didn't have to go very far to find the Samaritans, but they just didn't share life together at all. It was, it's like their lives never really overlapped in any significant way. And so when we think about Samaritans, maybe we think about people who don't necessarily vote like us. <gasps> and if you feel that immediately, as soon as I say that, if you're like, no, they probably are Samaritans to you then, okay? Maybe it's people who don't, who don't necessarily talk with the same accent, or maybe they don't even know our language. You know, right here, I love that right here in Fremont, we have a number of Spanish speakers. So much to the fact that our awesome keyboard player over here, Servando, today, he and his wife, Ruth, lead a Spanish fellowship here at Journey on Sundays at 1 p.m. There's a whole community of people right here in our own community who maybe we, we can't even really talk to that well because we, we don't share even a language. That can, that can be hard, right? So maybe it's just people, maybe it's language barriers, maybe it's economic barriers, maybe it could be whatever the barriers are, but they, they're like us. We're kind of in the same area. We just, there's not a lot of common shared experiences that we have with Samaria. And so, so this would just be um, uh, same but different. Okay, whatever that would be. And here's the great thing, and I, just, I, don't, I hope I don't need to remind you of this, but sometimes I need to remind myself, you know, God loves the Samaritans just as much as he loves me. God loves, this is gonna be shocking, okay? You might not like this. God loves people who vote differently than you <gasps> just as much as he loves you. And that's why, this is why Jesus is strategic. He could have left Samaria out. In fact, three sounds better than four spiritually. You know, any sermon sounds better with three points than it does with four points. They'll teach you that in cemetery, I mean seminary. They'll teach you that, that three points is always like, you don't do four points, you know, maybe five points. Don't do four points, do three points or five points. And so Jesus could have easily said, in your Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, he could have done that. He's intentionally including Samaria because he knows that if he doesn't include them, they ain't going there, right? So he says, listen, this is part of the deal. It's Samaria. And then he includes the ends of the earth. 
And the ends of the earth, really, I think we can wrap our brain, even though it's so much beyond us, we can actually kind of wrap our brains more around this because we just know this is, this is really usually foreign, right? Every nation, every tongue, every dialect, Jesus says we're supposed, to, we're supposed to be witnesses. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. I use straight lines, but really a lot of these kind of overlap, right? Like we want these to be neatly defined, but there's overlap. So, so for us, when we think about Jerusalem, we think in a lot of ways it's the ministries of Journey Church. Like, like we, we, we are strategically trying to minister. We, our services are geared toward reaching the lost. We, we want people to come to know Jesus, our ministries. Our, when we do our men's breakfast yesterday, which was so awesome, there was a number of guys I'd never met before. People were bringing the friends and, and, and our women's uh, breakfast uh, or day, uh, the week. Like we're, we're really trying to be intentional about our Jerusalem. Our Judea, it's a little bit hard right and so so we support ministries like uh, 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 um, like uh, <laughs> dad why do you say dad what's that well I, I'm gonna get to them in just a moment but like okay I'll give you an example we got several students that are here from Tara from our, our uh, college right here in Fremont and so so Maybe they would be included in, in kind of the Judea. We're probably not going to rub shoulders with them every day, but so we support InterVarsity, which is a student ministry on Wednesdays. They have Bible study and they do other things. And, and, and this is why this overlapping is weird because we get to Samaria and maybe that would be through Liberty Center. Sandusky County's homeless shelter, or maybe it's Heartbeat, or maybe it's Share and Care, or maybe it's um, a, a, a Vision Ministries in Toledo that is a soup kitchen. Maybe it's through our partnership with Church Multiplication Network uh, that in Ohio is planning churches. Last year planted 25 or so churches right here in the state of Ohio, and we support them. And so, so there's different ways of doing this. And so as I've been thinking about this, you know, it, God kind of put this, this verse in my heart and really feeling, okay, this is our vision. Our vision isn't a building. Our vision is how do we be witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, how do we be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? And how do we do this in a way that it's not one or the other? See, if, you're gonna, if Jesus was standing here physically in the flesh and we showed Jesus this board and Jesus would say, yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar, I remember, I remember that being the last instructions that I gave the disciples, and we were saying, okay, Jesus, we're so glad you're here, so glad you're here in this building. We've been praying that you'd be here in this building. That's awesome. Jesus, which one of these should we focus on? Which one would Jesus say? He'd say all of them. Like, we want things to be binary. We want things to be either or. We want to be able to just zero in and put all, and Jesus says, how about, how about you do all of them? How about you figure out an all of the above strategy? How about you make sure that you prioritize Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth? And we go, oh, that's too big. I can't do that. And Jesus goes, that's why I said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, right? Like you can't do this on your own. Like, what does this require? This requires the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And practically what that requires for us is desperation for the Holy Spirit. Like, one of these days, the church is gonna get our heads out of sand and realize this world is broken and it's getting more brokener by the day. And if you didn't know that, maybe you have a friend who works in one of our local school districts. See, we're broken, <laughs> 
Man, talk, talk to somebody who works in one of our, talk to someone who works in one of our elementary schools. And the things that they will tell you about what students are coming into school, hearing and bringing in with them and saying, it just makes you grieve. It breaks your heart. Like at some point, the church is going to realize we have no hope apart from a move of the Holy Spirit. And I know we're in a political year. Gosh, doesn't it feel like we've been in a political year for the last 20 years? Like, I hear people, oh, 2024 is a political year. And I'm like, when did the political year stop? Right? When, so we're going into another political year and great presidential election upon us uh, in the next few, oh, can you believe that, in a number of months here. And can I just tell you that I hope, I hope you'll get involved in the political process. I hope you'll vote. I personally, even a couple years, ran for a local office and lost by eight votes, so you really should vote. It's a good thing to do, a good thing to be involved in, and it was, it was an interesting experience. Here's, I, I want you to be involved in that. Don't, don't hear me saying don't be involved, don't vote, don't be involved in the political process. But can I just tell you, our hope is not in political candidates or political parties or the political process. If your hope is in those things, you're going to be so disappointed. Like we are to the point, our hope is in a sovereign move of God upon our nation. And church, we have got to get desperate. Like, Holy Spirit, if you don't move across this country, we have no other hope. We need a revival. We need a great awakening like we saw in the late 1700s and the second great awakening like we saw in the 1800s. We need God to move sovereignly and powerfully where there's repentance and brokenness and humility all across our nation. And what this requires, this kind of vision, I'll tell you straight out, it requires a desperation. Holy Spirit, if you don't show up, we, don't, we can't do this. I'm incapable of doing this. And you can fire me and bring in another pastor. And I'll tell you, that other pastor is going to be incapable of doing this. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's power and his strength and his discernment and his wisdom and his help. We need the Holy Spirit. But you know what? The second thing that we need in order to accomplish this vision is we need to understand that love is a verb. Love requires action. Love requires more than good intentions. Love requires that we put some things on the calendar. Love requires that we put some muscle into this. It requires sometimes even our finances. It requires our attention. It requires our prayers. It requires that when we pray together, that we're not just praying for insignificant things. Guys, would you pray for me? I've got another hangnail. And that our prayer meetings are all me-obsessed and all about my needs and about my, you know, my great aunt's you know, cashier, that she, her favorite cashier at Walmart needs prayer. Like, like that our prayer meetings become, God, we need your help in discernment and wisdom. How do we reach Jerusalem? God, we need your help in reaching Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And we're becoming desperate. God, show us, help us, Right? We, we need to realize all of that. And so I would just tell you, we believe, and our leadership team believes, that Journey Church is poised to make an even greater difference than we've ever made locally all the way to globally. 
In an all of the above approach, we believe that if we will all move toward the same vision together, that we can do some significant things, that this church in rural Ohio can make such a powerful difference locally and around the world. And so as we've just been praying about just saying, okay, God, again, we wanna be specific. We don't wanna just have good intentions. We wanna put some things down on paper. We wanna say, God, we need you to show up. If you don't show up, we're not gonna be able to do this. And as we prayed about a number, we've been, we really feel like in the next year that we could be a part of sending out of this building $200,000 in support locally all the way to globally. <laughs> the, the amens are getting less loud. <laughs> as soon as we start... Mentioning dollar signs is like $200,000. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for one person. For a church of 500 people, I think we can do that. I think if we're all together and we're all moving in the same direction and all realizing the same there, we can do it together. And what does that look like? What would 200,000, and we're not talking about $200,000 to stay in the walls of Journey Church. We're not talking about to pay utilities or pay salaries or to do ministry, youth ministry or kids ministry or women's ministry. We're talking about outside the doors of Journey Church that $200,000 could go to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Next week, we'll get more specific about what that money could do, but right now, we have 33 partner missionaries or ministries, not just missionaries, but ministries. 11 of those are within the United States. So 22 of those are international, 11 of those are, are within the United States. And what if, we're just dreaming, what if we supported each one at $200 a month? 200 times 33 is $6,600 a month. We would be getting 6,600 times 12 is a lot of money. Right? What it, could, could we do that as a community of Jesus followers? Could we combine our money in like a giant kingdom of God mutual fund and partner with all these ministries? And then above and beyond that, could we say to these ministries and these missionaries, hey, above that $200 a month, that's baseline, you're gonna get that, we're, we're gonna commit to that. Above that, do you have specific projects that we could, in a one-time effort, come alongside you and help you out. What are some of those projects that we could help you with? And we were talking to Liberty Center, and they were saying, you know what? We've, we've got an antiquated phone system. Like, um, you know, if we could have some money, this is outside of our budget, if we could have like a shot in the arm to help our phone system, it would actually save us money long-term, and that, that would be a great help. Or we've got a parking lot that needs to be resealed and Journey Church, we know that it actually costs a lot of money to reseal a parking lot. We've learned that in the last year. Like what, you know, that's not a small thing and donors aren't necessarily excited and pumped up about doing something like that. What if we as a church could say, you know what, we're going to pay for resealing that parking lot. In addition to our $200 a month that we're supporting you, we're going to give you this amount of money. Or maybe to one of our partner missionaries in the ends of the earth. We think of our partners in Alaska. And they're reaching out to the tribes in Alaska. There are over, that they've identified, there's over 100 villages or cities or communities in Alaska that have no gospel witness. And most of them are to tribal peoples in Alaska. And we believe that Jesus would want us to be witnesses to all 100 of those villages. So we partner with Paul and Crystal Burkhardt, and they're, they're trying to be witnesses right there in Alaska, and they've got a strategy for reaching all 100. What they're doing is they're setting up camp in the universities of Alaska, 
And they're discipling individuals to go back to those communities to be doctors and accountants and, and pharmacists in those communities and then on the side to build churches and to disciple people in that community. It's an incredible vision that they have. Well, recently they were given some property that... Um, is that showing? Yeah, you're seeing some of that. They were given some property that, uh, that is a hub, is a hub community where they can reach 40 other communities around them from this location. The geography just makes it easier. The problem is it's not the greatest property. And so they said, you know, we think it's going to be about $700,000. They have an expansion program that they're doing. And so they've already raised $500,000 of that. And they came to us and they said, we only have $200,000 left. And we were talking, how awesome would it be in addition to our $200 a month that we send them to say, hey, you can, you can sign us up for $20,000. Well, $20,000 when they only need $200,000, that's a shot in the arm. That's a boost and we know that it's going to be effective. We know that they're going to be productive. I'm just giving you several examples of how together we can make a difference locally in our Jerusalem, right where we are, in our Judea, our region, in our Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We can make a stronger difference when we are moving together to the same destination, to the same uh, place that we believe that God has for us. I, I could go into so many other things. I'm going to, I'm going to save some of that for later trying to think of where we can go as a church here's what we're committing to doing as a board we're committing that 10 percent of what you tithe is going to go to the god-sized vision and you say well that doesn't sound like that much it just means that that we're tightening our belts and saying hey instead of using a hundred percent of what you give to stay right here in this church automatically the promise is at least 10 percent is going to go out the doors of our church to jerusalem judea samaria and to the ends of the earth above that once we get our mortgage paid off, which, by the way, we've been in this building, this, uh, this new ministry center over here, and then a student center over there uh, for about two and a half years. I think it's been about two and a half years that we've been in these facilities. We started off with a mortgage of $1.5 million, and uh, happy to let you know it's now under 850000 which is pretty awesome. And our vision is... Our vision is in four to five years to get that paid off. And then what our board has talked about is at that point, at least 20% of what you tithe would go to the God-sized vision. And I dream of within a number of years that we could very easily be at about 25%. So that when you tithe, you'd know 25, can you imagine a day where 25% of what you're giving is just going straight out the doors to this God-sized vision? It would be incredible. In the meantime, we believe that, so, so if you, if you want to help us, really the baseline is, would you start tithing? And there's a number of people in this room who already do, and that's awesome. The Pareto principle, this is a universal leadership principle, says that 20% of people give 80% of the resources, right? 20% of people serve 80% of the hours, you know, all, all these types of things. We're just asking, if you're not currently tithing, would you consider tithing to the Lord. And, and you go, well, what is a tithe? Tithe is giving 10% of what the Lord has entrusted to you, returning that 10% to him. And, and the Bible talks about this. Probably the best passage of scripture to go to would be Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And nerd out and study what, what Malachi has to say about tithing. Uh, you can see, you know, throughout the Bible, it's a principle that's, that's talked about. I'll have people every once in a while who will come up to me and they're kind of snarky in how they'll say this when they'll say, but I'm a New Testament believer, Ken. Like, I, I'm not a part of the law anymore. I'm a part of grace, and so I don't tithe. 
And I just try to gently remind them that the tithe happened 400 years before the law was given to Moses, that Abraham was tithing, and, and Jacob tithed, and Isaac tithed, and, and Jesus affirmed tithing. He made sure to be clear that we better do it with right motivations and all of that, but Jesus affirmed tithing. And so I would just encourage you, if you're not tithing, that's a great place to start. And by the way, when you tithe, you will automatically be supporting this God-sized vision. 10% of what you give to us will automatically be going to that. In addition to that, we're going to add, or not in a, start there. Let that be a starting point. If you're already tithing, we would just ask you to pray about, for the next two weeks, what, what would God want to, uh, to, to, to ask you to give to the God-sized vision in the next year? In fact, we got some people around the room that have uh, these uh, uh, God-sized vision cards. Do you guys mind taking those and passing those out? And we're not, we're not receiving these today. We're not asking you to come up with something today. We're asking you to take two weeks to pray about this. And on Super Bowl Sunday, which is Sunday, February 11th, maybe for our Detroit fans in the room, it'll be a great day of celebrating. I hope it is for them. I hope it is. And then I hope in a couple of years you can share in Cleveland's uh, success as well. As you get this card, you'll see that, that there's some... some uh, places that you could check about making a prayerful commitment. The first commitment would be tithing. And maybe for you, that would just be step one and you don't even go on to the other steps because that's a huge step. By the way, as they're passing this out, I, I would say this about tithing. Uh, Carrie and I started tithing before we were even married. We were married back in the year 2000. I was tithing when I was making, I, I was making $100 a week full-time as a pastor they, they were paying me $100 a week, which even back, I know I look like I'm 100 years old, but even back then, that wasn't a lot of money. And I remember tithing on that. And God has been so faithful through the years to, to carry and I. He's been faithful. I, uh, I, I talked about this in the first service, and it was a lady uh, in between services who said, you know, I started tithing several years ago. And she said, I saw God's faithfulness from the first month that I started tithing. I saw God's faithfulness in such a significant way. I just want to encourage you, if you're not tithing, test God. Malachi chapter 3 tells us to do that. Test God. Try him out. See what he, see what he does. See if he's not faithful to you. It's not, it's not always in tangible ways. It's not always that you go to the mailbox and realize that you've won, you know, some kind of sweepstakes. For Carrie and I, it's that it keeps our cars running. You know, Carrie drives a car that's over 10 years old. I drive a car that's 15 years old. I'm almost always have driven a car that's at least 15 years old. I don't, I do, I just do it. Number one, I'm not a car guy, so it really doesn't matter to me. I'll drive, if it runs, praise God. But here's what I found. He, he keeps our vehicles, he keeps things. It's not that you're gonna be the richest person on the block, but he's gonna be faithful to you. So, so here's, the first step would be, I'm gonna start tithing. Maybe you already tithe. Here's what we would ask you to do. Just pray about, is there a one-time gift that you could give to the God-sized vision in the next year? Or maybe for you it'd be, you know what, we'll, we want to give weekly or we want to give monthly to the God-sized vision. Or maybe as you pray about it, you just realize, you know, I'm already giving in other ways and I'm just not able to participate in that at this time. That's fine as well. We're going to ask you in two weeks to bring this card back. And if you lose it, trust, trust me, we'll have more for you. Um, 
And you say, well, Ken, why do you need to be so nosy? Why do you need to know what I'm committing to? Like, why can't that just be a thing between me and God? And I would just say, really, we, we need these because our team needs to be able to go through these and figure out what kind of commitments to make in the next year. We don't want to over-promise and under-deliver, right? We don't want to tell ministries, hey, we'll commit to supporting you, and then in a few months go, oops, sorry. <laughs> we don't have the money to actually do that. Jesus had some things to say about making commitments and thinking through the commitments that we're going to make. And so we want these back. Here's the promise. We will not hound you for this. You will not get a letter in the mail in December saying, hey, way back in February, you made this commitment and we haven't seen this commitment come in. Like we won't hound you at all. You won't get any kind of notifications about it. It's just a way of us just being able to be good stewards and to make sure we're making right commitments. Does that make sense? And so on February 11th, Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to ask you to bring these. If you're not going to be here that Sunday, you can bring it next week or you can email us with the details. But we are excited. I love talking about this. And I, some, you know, you might go, well, pastors, you guys just like talking about taking our money. I, to me, this is a thing of I love talking about this because this isn't about me and it's not even about Journey Church. This is about being obedient to the last thing that Jesus said in Acts chapter 1-8. It's really about being obedient to the vision that Jesus has laid out. And here's, I, I just I had someone tell me this on Friday, and I thought it was such great confirmation. He said, you know the number one reason why people give to a ministry? I said, no, what is it? Is it trust? Is it, you know, I started going through a list, and he goes, it's because somebody asked them. He said, you know the number one reason why people don't give to a ministry? Nobody ever asked them. So here I am, your pastor, and I'm asking you, and the great thing is I'm not asking for me. I'm asking for the fulfillment of this vision for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and that together, together we can make a difference. Together we can get to the end of our lives someday and go, I made a difference. And someday even beyond the end of our lives, in eternity, we can meet some people from Alaska that could say someone came to my village because of a ministry that you supported. And they told me about Jesus. And maybe we'll bump into someone, and maybe it won't even take the eternity. We'll bump into someone who has ministered through Liberty Center, and they'll say, hey, the Liberty Center housed me and, and helped me, and they helped me get my feet on the ground. And, and we can know this because we had a role in that. Or someone from sharing care, or someone from Heartbeat who received counseling in a crisis pregnancy. They received counseling that, that changed the trajectory of their lives, and we can know that we had a role in that. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be awesome to know that that's how we're resourcing our lives? So can I just pray over you and, and pray for us? Father, I, I thank you for the words of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that as a church, that we would be obedient, that we would be motivated to do what you are calling us to do. And we humbly ask for your Holy Spirit. We recognize that apart from the Holy Spirit's power, we're incapable of doing this. We are desperate for your power. Show us how to love and to love with action the people around us. And God, in all of this, that you would get the glory. This isn't about a church. It's not about a personality. God, that you would receive the glory in what we are able to do together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you stand? This week, may you experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This week, 
May you understand that you are a witness and in your Jerusalem, right where you are, may you find opportunities to witness to the faithfulness of God. And this week, may you pray and seek the Lord about how you can partner with what he is doing around this world. God bless you guys. We'll see you later. Have a great week.